0: Okay, so the first theme that I'm coming with is that I may bleed, but I will shake this and get free. I'm going to examine the story of Jacob and Esau, and we have heard this countless times over and over, but generally we hear it from the perspective of Jacob and how sorry Esau was to give up his birthright, how he didn't cherish what he had. And then you see where Esau was mad. He wanted to kill Jacob. But then we go on and we always leave it to then Jacob gets blessed. He struggles with God and he gets his anointing. Well, I figured that we should look at it from Esau's perspective because I like the underdog. I like the one who seems to be the one that's cast it out, that doesn't get his just due. So I sat down one night and I said, I'm going to really read this for myself because I had not read the entire chapter's Myself, So I took it from the beginning all the way to the end so that I could see what was going on with Jacob and Esau. And let me tell you, my mind was like everywhere because it was so much stuff that was in there, it was ridiculous. But I'm going to try to give you what I got when I sat down with it. I'm going to try to condense it as much as possible because I know we're starting a little late, but hopefully a meeting with God, you won't mind being up a little late to have him touch you. So we're going to look at Genesis 25 21 through 34. It says, Isaac pleaded with Jehovah to give Rebekah a child. For even after many years of marriage, she had no children. Then at last she became pregnant. And it seemed as though children were fighting each other inside of her. I can't endure this, she exclaimed. So she asked the Lord about it. And he told her, The sons in your womb shall become two rival nations. One will be stronger than the other, and the older shall be a servant of the younger. And sure enough, she had twins. The first was born so covered with reddish hair that one would think he was wearing a fur coat. So they called him Esau. Then the other twin was born and with his hand on Esau's heel. So they called him Jacob. His name means grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As the boys grew, Esau became a skillful hunter, while Jacob was a quiet sort who liked to stay home. Isaac's favorite was Esau, because of the vincent he brought home, and Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. One day, Jacob was cooking stew when Esau arrived home, exhausted from the hunt. Esau, boy am I starved. Give me a bite of that red stuff there. Jacob, all right, trade me your birthright for it. When a man is dying of starvation, what good is his birthright? Well, then vow to God that it is mine. And Esau vowed, thereby selling all his eldest son's rights to his younger brother. Then Jacob gave Esau bread, peas, and stew. So he ate and drank and went on about his business, indifferent to the loss of the rights he had thrown away." So we're going to pull some different things from these verses. One is that from the womb, we have an assignment. We have a purpose and a destiny. Our environment and our familial roles help to play out what we will have to endure to meet our destiny. So Esau was Isaac's favorite. Jacob was Rebecca's favorite. And right there, you have tension in the house. You have a brother wanting the love that the other brother has. Because no child wants to just be loved by one parent. You want to be loved and adored by both parents because you're supposed to be loved and adored by both parents. You also have a husband at odds with his wife. Isaac was very aware that Rebecca had her favorite. And Rebecca was very aware that Isaac had his favorite. And the boys knew this as well because children always know the climate of the house. Children always know the struggles of the parents. Keep in mind that these are just people, people like us with a bunch of family drama like most of us have. So Jacob means grabber. In Hebrew, it means supplanter, which is defined as one who wrongfully or illegally seizes and holds the place. Of another. This is who Jacob is. This is why God had to change his name. Jacob had already purposed in his heart that he will scam and cheat to get everything Esau had. He knew he would catch his brother when he was weak. Jacob sees that Esau is impulsive. Esau doesn't think things thoroughly through. He's a hunter for the moment, get the stuff, get with your hands. I don't have to think about the next day. I can supply that. Esau's problem was that he underestimated his brother. Jacob found the perfect opportunity to snatch what he wanted, and that was the birthright. Jacob knew that the birthright gave him access to everything because remember when he grabbed his heel, his aim was to be first. Esau failed to hold on to that birthright. He failed to hold it in high esteem. But when you are weak and not expecting those who are supposed to be on your side to take advantage of you, your defenses get lowered, and then you get to be taken. Now, I truly doubt that Esau thought that Jacob would really hold on to that birthright. He was unaware of the depths of the jealousy that lied in his brother's heart. It is important to know who you were tied to. To see them for who they really are. I would bet that this wasn't the first time Jacob asked for the birthright. I bet Jacob saw many times when Esau was weak, and Esau just was a little smarter those days. It's the reason why it says when a man is starving, he would give up something. You got me at my lowest. Well, we will give up a lot when we're at our lowest. Just giving a perspective for Esau. We've been bad-mouthing Esau for forever. You have a call that God has placed on your life from birth. All of us. It's a call that's placed on your life at birth. But you have Jacobs in your life. You got grabbers trying to block you from your birthright. Some of you got fooled by a mama that was weak and stayed with a man that was abusive. Some had a daddy that never cared about them. Some had grandparents who raped and molested them. Sisters and brothers who set them up for failure. Cousins, uncles, and aunts that misused them. All of this was an attempt to make you believe you didn't have a God-given plan for your life. A plan of good and not evil to make you think that God didn't care and didn't love you. So, who was your grabber? Who tricked you out of your worth? Who convinced you that if you decided to live that all you would have to face is hell every day? Because you gotta name your grabber. You gotta be able to identify who it is so that you will be able to stand up and say no more that you have a birthright from Jesus and that you will be free. The next phase of the story is told in Genesis 27, 1 through 46. So I'm going to sum that up because that's a little too much for us to read. But please read it for yourself because you should get your own idea of what the scriptures are saying. So we we have Isaac telling Esau that he is an old man and nearly blind. And he will die any day now. He asked for him to go prepare his favorite meal. And then he tells him, I will give you the blessings of the first son. But Rebekah overhears it. Look at who Rebekah is. I mean, they were both her sons. But she was willing to work with the other son to be that divisive against the other. Now, we know that Esau felt that. Because it has to be a horrible thing to feel like your mama don't even love you. But he lived with it. He felt he had his daddy's love. Rebecca goes through a serious plot to get Jacob to look like Esau. Now Jacob already had the birthright. So in essence, he already had the blessings of the first child. But he was determined that Esau would have nothing. He wanted him to have nothing, not one blessing. You already had everything. The land was yours. The dynasty was yours. The name was yours. The cattle, the everything was already yours. Why would you want him to have nothing? That's cruelty. That's evilness at its best. So, who was your grabber's accomplice? Who turned their back when they saw you in despair? Who egged on the grabber to take more and more from you? Who gave you an extra blow when you were already on the floor? Who saw you about to rise but came behind you and pushed you down? Now name them, and tell them no more. It's very important that you're clear on who you're dealing with. A lot of times we have these things in our lives, but we don't wanna name them. We don't wanna identify who gave us the actual blows. But for you to get free, you must be able to name them, unless you like where you're standing now. So let's read Genesis 27, and we're going to read 14 through 29. So Jacob followed his mother's instructions, bringing the dress kids, which she prepared in his father's favorite way. Then she took Esau's best clothes, they were in the house, and instructed Jacob to put them on. And she made him a pair of gloves from the hairy skin of the young goats and fastened a strip of the hide around his neck. Then she gave him the meat, with its rich aroma and some fresh break bread. Jacob carried the platter of food into the room where his father was lying. Father, yes, who is it? My son Esau or Jacob? It's Esau, your oldest son. I've done as you told me to. Here is the delicious venison you wanted. Sit up and eat it so that you will bless me with all your heart. How were you able to find it so quickly, my son? Because Jehovah your God put it in my path. You went as far to lie on God. Oh, God told me to do it. God said this was okay. God spoke to me. Come over here. I want to feel you and be sure it's really Esau. So Jacob goes over to his father and he feels him. Isaac says to himself, the voice is Jacob, but the hands are Esau. The trick convinces Isaac, and he gives Jacob his blessing. Are you really Esau? Yes, of course. Then bring me the vincent, and I will eat it and bless you with all my heart. And Jacob takes it over to him, and Isaac eats. He also drinks the wine Jacob brings him. Come here and kiss me, my son. Jacob goes over and kisses him on the cheek. Isaac sniffs his clothes and finally seems convinced. The smell of my son is good. The smell of the earth and the fields that Jehovah has blessed. May God always give you plenty of rain for your crops. And good harvest and grapes. May many nations be your slaves. Be the master of your brothers. May all your relatives bow low before you. Cursed are all who curse you, and blessed are all who bless you. Sometimes we are so fully deceived that we test it out. We sniff it out. We fill it out, yet we still get conned. Cause you gotta know the grabber is they will go to the ends to get you. Their aim is you. If they have to dress it up and make it look pretty so that you will bite it is what they will do. Know your grabber because we all have a few. So this is elaborate trickery. This is craftiness at its best. They went through a lot. Cutting off coats, they didn't have tape and stuff back there. Taping stuff to the arms, to the neck, that's a lot of work. For something you already had. This is what happens when people have jealousy. Because jealousy means they think they cannot get what you have. So they will take you down to get your stuff. We look at some and we wonder how they are getting away with all they've done. How were they allowed to live, seemingly untouched compared to the hell you have had to encounter? It seems odd that Jacob would be allowed to get away with this when God is about justice. Why did Esau have to pay such a big price for his neglect? It was neglect of his rightful place. He messed up, but such a price. To lose everything? For one moment of weakness? Everything? Isn't Jacob's scheming as bad as neglect? But of course the story does not stop there, and neither does yours. As a side note, because I must always make stuff introspective, we need to be able to admit the times that we have been grabbers in our own lives. We also do not want to turn into grabbers because we have been wounded. Never let people's poor behavior change who you are for the worse. Then you become no better than them. If you have schemed and wounded and stolen stuff from people, then you need to go to them and admit your wrongs and set them free. It is often easier to see the foulness in others and not in ourselves. So just as a note, check yourself. Back to the story. So we're going to go to Genesis 27, 30 through 36. As soon as Isaac had blessed Jacob, and almost before Jacob leaves the room, Esau arrives coming in from his hunting he also has prepared his father's favorite dish and brings it to him. Think about how gleeful Esau probably was out there hunting. That finally. I messed up. Papa saw I just made a mistake. He's gonna bless me. He's about to die. I don't have to live here with nothing. I'm out feeling good. He didn't cook the food, feeling happy. I'm sure he had a little tune playing in his head. And he says, here I am, father, with the vincent. Sit up and eat it so that you can give me your finest blessing. And Isaac says, who is it? Why, it's me, of course, Esau, your oldest son. Isaac begins to tremble noticeably. Then who is it who was just here with the vincent? And I have already eaten it and blessed him with an irrevocable blessing. Esau begins to sob with a deep in bitter sobs. Oh, my father, bless me. Bless me, too. Your brother was here and tricked me and has carried away your blessing. Esau, no wonder they call him the cheater, for he took my birthright, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? So let's think about Esau's anguish the pain that's in his heart. He probably thought, I know I shouldn't have sold the birthright, but I can't get one blessing? When this boy just tricked you out of everything, and you give him a blessing, and it's irrevocable, and I walk away with nothing? In essence, Father, this is what happened to me. I was hungry. I was weak, and he tricked me the same way he tricked you. I thought he cared for me just a little bit. It's shocking when you get that final blow. That blow that just really seals it, that dame, this really is who you are. Then there's no coming back. I see you so clear now. I never thought he would want to take everything from me. He had my place in the family. Do I not deserve just one blessing? Just one. Didn't ask for a whole lot. Just one blessing. Now look at Isaac. He knew who Jacob was, it was his son. He saw him scheming all this time. He may not have wanted to admit it, but he knew his son was conniving. He knew it was wrong when he tempted the brother and took the birthright in the first place. To exchange it for some soup. No intervention from the parents. I mean, you could just imagine, and of course I'm just speculating. Isaac and Rebecca talking about this. And Isaac like, you know that's foul. And Rebecca has nothing but praise for good old Jacob. Her favorite. Oh, you're just saying that because you like Esau better. Just the family. Isaac at that moment had to admit that my son is a sneaky, evil cheater. In his heart, he had to say this is what I've birthed. He will even cheat me. Isaac needed to open his eyes as to who he was tied to his wife, and his son. Because they stopped playing fair a long time ago. He was going by physically at the time, but he had chosen blindness a long time ago. What have you closed your eyes to? What are you walking around blind about because you just don't want to admit the truth? Don't choose blindness. It's good to see. Open your eyes wide. And like really wide. Don't squint. Pop them buggers open. Look at you first. See where your junk is. And then look at those around you. It may be as bad as you thought. Because blindness doesn't make evilness go away. It just helps it grow. Because we teach people when they never reap what they sow, that they never will. And most people that have a life of grabbing, of being supplanters, that's what they do. And all the time they get away with it. Because the good folks shut their mouth and shut their eyes. We're going to just pray. You can pray all day and night. But they got to change who they are. Because there's not one scripture that says prayer changes things. I want y'all to find it. It's a slogan. You change. Talk to Jesus about your mess and you. But you can pray and snot and spit and fast and do all that stuff. And nothing's happened until you make up your mind to be different. And sometimes different means getting away from who's been grabbing you. Some of us got folks just attached to the heel. They never even shook off. We just been carrying them all our life. Trying to grab us. And sometimes they succeed. Especially when they got good accomplices. Cause then we're outwitted. with it. Now, if we bring this to me and you, many of us sold our birthright for a host of reasons. But God is like Isaac. He knows who we are and why we do what we do. He gives us another chance and wants to bestow a blessing on us from his heart. He wants to bless us even though we sold him for some stuff. Do not let the devil come in and snatch your blessing. Do not let the old man and your old ways keep you from a blessing from God Almighty. If we look at verse 34 where it says Esau begins to sob with deep and bitter sobs, this is where in Hebrews they say that Esau sought repentance with tears, but he never received it. This means that Esau was not able to get back to his rightful place. Firstly, he crossed the line in the sand of no return. And then when he was about to get his blessing again. The devil stepped in and snatched it again. Once God has set out in his word, it is sent. Jacob got to live the life he lived because the word was already sent. Now, one day I'm going to go through Jacob because he has an amazing story too. To know that he came from this and he reached that, that's beautiful. But tonight's not about Jacob. What has God spoken to you? Has he said anything to you? Do you know your place? See, this is the problem. Oftentimes, we don't know the voice of God. I don't know what he says. All I know is what people keep telling me. But I never hear the words for myself. So I'm skipping and jumping, bucking and running, Because God never took, I never, I never took time to talk to God. He said something to us. Because we all have a destiny. When he saved us, he saved us for a reason. It wasn't for us to sit in a pew. It wasn't for us to be able to speak in tongues. It was for a purpose. What's your purpose? Why are you here? What do you have to give to God? And to give to humanity. Because God is always about service. If you don't have service, then you don't really know God. You just think you do. Don't let anyone take the blessings that God has intended for you. Go get yours from God. And sometimes we have to fight. Sometimes we have to scream. Sometimes we have to lay out on the floor. We have to be vulnerable. We have to let God know that I am serious about this. That I really want more in my life. I would like to know my purpose. I would like to know why I was birthed. And what name did you put on my back when I came out of the womb? Why am I here? A lot of times we let other people dictate our life too much. Well, someone says, no, you can't do that. Or that's not your calling. And we say, okay, maybe not. And I gotta get four or five folks to confirm what I'm supposed to be doing when Jesus spoke. No one else has to agree. Do what God gave you to do. But the story is not yet finished, thank God. And this is where I really got excited because I never heard anyone gave the ending. I needed the ending. Genesis twenty seven thirty eight through 40. Esau says, not one blessing left for me. Oh, my father, bless me too. Isaac says nothing as Esau weeps. Then Isaac says, yours will be no life of ease and luxury, but you shall hew your way with your sword. For a time you will serve your brother, but you will finally shake loose from him and be free. You will finally shake loose from him and be free. Many of us have lived by the sword. It seemed like everything we touched began to bleed. There was no beauty in anything we did. And we did do our share of mess. We messed up a lot. You may have sought God with tears, yet you have not had ease, and luxury has been very far from you. You have served the things and the people that have harmed you. Maybe not physically, but definitely mentally. Their words have been stronger than your own words. Their words and action have been stronger than what God has done for you, which is the reason why we can't break the cycles, which is the reason why I can't believe God loves me, that God has a plan for me, that God's intentions for me are good and not evil, because the words and the actions of everyone before me keeps telling me that I'm nothing. And I cannot believe that God sees something grand in me. Because no one else did. And I hold on to that much tighter than I hold on to the book. Because for me, the book means less than everybody else's words. But it is like God saying, I couldn't stop them. Because man has free will. He can't block everything that comes our way. You may have to serve the perpetrator. Because... You made poor judgments after a while. I'm not talking about when you was little when they victimized you. But as we got older, because of the victimizations, we made poor judgments. We chose wrong people. We were in the wrong places. You have to live with the consequences of your behavior. You may feel like a failure and the world is against you. But he says you will finally shake it and be free. No doubt, you will. It's the Father's blessing on you. The same blessing that is irrevocable for Jacob, it is irrevocable for you. You will be free. When will you decide that freedom is yours? When will you start shaking loose all the stuff? Or do you like being bound? God says, shake loose from it and be free. You do not have to be tied to this mess any longer. You do not have to be weighed down any longer. Like he told the children of Israel as they crossed the sea, look at them for you shall see them no more. You have got to let God drown your stuff, but you got to watch him drown it. That's why I'm saying name it. Name it all so you can watch him drown it. Therefore, there are no more illusions. There's no more scariness behind you sneaking up, tapping you on your shoulder. Because you saw, you were there, you participated in the drowning. Do you think the children thought that the Pharaoh was coming when he saw they saw him get drowned? They were safe. They knew they weren't coming no more. They watched it. You are free if you choose to be free. No more torment. When will you stop being in torment? Will you stop living under the secrets that are bigger than everything else in your life? Why hold on to that any longer? Do you not believe that God's power is bigger than anything else? I mean, is the Holy Ghost big or is it small is it just for you to be able to speak in tongues and run around the church or is it big enough to destroy satan and his devices is god in you it is that very power that created this universe that sits in you yet i cannot exercise some of my own demons When he went to hell and snatched the keys from Satan? And that's the same power that's in you. Why are you letting Satan carry the keys? You giving him the keys. And he's like, thank you? Because he knows that all you got to do is exercise the Jesus. And once you get the Jesus moving, he's scared. Remember, he's trembling at the name. But what has happened? We now tremble at the name. We scared of Jesus. I can't talk to Jesus. I can't run to him. He need me to be perfect. So I can't tell him about my stuff I've been doing, the stuff I've been in. The devil's like, I got you. See, that's the trick. Praise and worship him because you're already free. You got to start believing this. You gotta start exercising this. Let him speak his blessings on your life. Quiet down so you can hear his voice. Quiet down so you can hear him talking back to you. He speaks, and he don't just speak to one, he speaks to all. You are his child. You are his bride. Who has a relationship without verbiage? When something is loose-fitting, you can shake it a little, and it'll slip off. But when something is fitting tight, you have to sometimes shake it violently. How hard will you shake to be free? Will you just get down and pray a little bit? Will you just offer up one, two tears and say, okay, Jesus, do the rest? Or will you go all the way? until freedom is yours, until he speaks to you and say you are free. No more torment, no more fear, you are free. Know that that does not come easy. That's not a one-time shot and then everything is over. He needs to see you really want it, that you want him over the baggage you keep carrying. But we like our baggage. It's our friend. It keeps us safe, we think. Let me just hold on to it a little longer. The Jesus is a little scary. So I like this stuff. Keep me heel. I can live like this. I've been doing this a long time. That freedom mess, that being able to just live in God's promises, Ah, that mess ain't real. See, this is what we act. We won't say it. How dare we not say we don't believe God, that we don't honor him, that we don't believe in the promises, that we're not in love with him, and we know he's in love with us, for he is love. Yet there's no belief behind it. And this is why we live the lives we live, because we just come in and we lie every week. Be careful of the words that slip out of your tongue. When you coming into church, shouting hallelujah, when you know goodwill, you don't want to praise God. Saying, God, I'm in love with you, singing them songs. Don't sing them if they're not real. That song you sing, I never lost my praise, I can't sing that song. I lost mine. I didn't praise through the whole thing. I'm just sit there and say, boy, you sure sound good. <laughs> I was beautiful. But the words, I can't sing that. That's not my song. Be honest. For God already knows. So he's not impressed with you coming in there lying. You getting down on your knees every night, giving you a couple of five minutes of prayer, reading a Bible that you don't even believe in, just to say you read some verses this week. What good is it? What good is it? He wasn't talking to tell us to be ritualistic and just do this just because. He's not impressed that you stopped eating. Oh, I'm fasting. Why are you fasting? Because somebody said we supposed to every once in a while. Well, that's gonna get the devil away. No, you just hungry. And you got a headache and then you mad the next day because then nothing happened. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> So again, how hard? How hard will you shake to be free? When Paul was in prison and chained, what got him free? He worshipped God. He was in literal bondage, but he believed in a God to free him. He believed that God would run to his rescue in prison, sitting there bound, No way for the chains to come off. No way. Who would think that praise would lose the chain? That worship would get me free. But the thing with that, it didn't just set him free, but it set everybody in the jail free. Can you worship and praise for me? If you can't conjure it up for yourself, can you come in with me? Because I need some freedom. If you can't get up enough to say I'm in need, and I'm broken, and my life is a mess, can you just have pity on me? And say, boy, her life is a mess. (laughs) So let me offer up a hallelujah for her. Some of us have to pick up the burden of the one next to us. When we set worship and praise free in this place, that is when we can be made free. But the key to it is worship. The key to it is crying out to God and saying, God, this is where I stand today. I need a touch from you. I want to see your face. I want to feel your arms around me and I need you to speak. And I will sit here until you do it. I will not let go until you bless me. That if I have to fight all night, I will fight. Remember, if I go back to Jacob, when he got free, when his name got changed was when he fought all night. All night till morning. You know we ain't fighting that long. We are not before God that long. We are not going to struggle. And then he got hurt in the process. Hip all out of whack. But he said, I'm in pain, because you know he felt that. But he said, no, pain ain't going to stop me from getting what I need. That I will fight you until you bless me. Are you willing to go that far? Are you, do you really want this? Do you wanna know God or do you wanna just do church? Cause there's a difference. God is who we're gonna see in heaven. The church ain't gonna be there. He's gonna be there. So will you fight for him? Because you know, he may feel like you just don't really wanna be with him. So why should he bring you with him? when I don't even want his presence here? I don't wanna talk to him here. What makes him think I wanna talk for eternity to him when I can't spend 10 minutes? It doesn't make sense. If you talk for me just 10 minutes, I'm not thinking you wanna come move in with me. Where's the relationship? Where's the struggle? We all got mess in our, in our path. We all had stuff we had to jump over. Hurdles that have broke us. Some of the hurdles we just kept tripping over. Legs are bruised up. Couple of us done broke a leg. Arm all out of place. But he said, you know, if the eyes offend you, it, you'd be better just to pluck it out. Cut your mess off and keep running. Because is God not worth it? But let this time be a time that you really do try to find God. Forget how it's supposed to look. Forget if the person next to you don't seem even moved a little bit. Get your moving. If you got to put your face to the wall, go to the wall. But get yours. Don't walk out of here the same, because you really don't have to. You really can leave different. With an encounter you have never had before. That's my prayer. Yeah.